There are a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL Draft this year. My name is Ben Solak, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Greg Horbeck. We cover trades, free agency, and the draft, which is, yeah, obviously. We'll tell you about everything, which includes which quarterbacks are good, which quarterbacks are bad, and which quarterbacks are just Kirk Cousins. That is the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Search the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA Show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier. Joining me to my right, Big Waz. (laughs) And joining us on the big screen, Rob Mahoney. Guys, I I just want to say thank you first to everyone who reached out after I hit the buzzer-beating game winner against the Dallas Mavericks <laughs> last night. Yeah. I appreciate that. Huge moment for you. First buzzer-beater of your career. Not the last. Let me tell you. <laughs> How does it feel? Uh, it feels like a normal day. You know, I just move yeah. on to the next one. Mm. Next pod, next pod up mentality. That's me. You're a real pro. We've always said that about you. Did you watch that game last night, Rob? Just like piecing together things in the aftermath. You know, obviously saw that shot and then I'm like, okay, how do we get here? And how, how do we, how do I see the full Max Struess explosion? Because I'm a good friend, Justin. I, I want to see you do well. Well, if you want to see me pantomime it here at this lovely desk in Spotify HQ, just, just let me know at any point here. Um, but today's episode is going to be another edition of the hit, uh, I don't know, bit. Uh, uh, is this anything? The late season edition, <laughs> which, as we mentioned on the last time we did this, I think with Michael Pina, uh, this is just a blatant ripoff of the Orlando Magic broadcast, uh, which is a ripoff of a David Letterman sketch. And we're going by Hollywood rules here because mm. we are in LA, which is that if anything is too derivative, it's just an homage, right? Mm. That's how they do it on the Prestige podcast, right, Rob? <laughs> Maybe so. But I think to your point, if it's been ripped off twice, I think it's it's open season on that at that point, right? I think so. Yeah, we'll have to check with the lawyers, but uh, we'll get on it there. So I have a couple things on this doc here, but I want to start with something off the doc. Uh, and this one comes courtesy of a longtime listener. Uh, I believe his name is Bob Mahoney. Uh, and it is a tweet from an Alex Medina <laughs> in which it shows five gentlemen in a little circle here, one of which is our friend Big Waz. 
And Steph Curry is also in this photo. Yeah. Heels back in a, I would say, a 40-degree angle. Yeah. And and the text here is, this man at Big Waz has us crying. Yeah. And so I have to ask Waz, is this anything? Uh, is it, no, it's not anything. It's, um, you know, All-Star Weekend is like a trillion different events or whatever. And I had somehow got invited to Steph Curry's event because he's he's apparently he's got a whiskey or bourbon that he um a bourbon brand that he's um running and in charge of or whatever the founder of and so they threw an event we went shout outs to the gentleman's cut and the team over there and we introduced ourselves to Steph I'd never met Steph before and me and the homies introduced ourselves to Steph we got to talking like he hung out with us for a solid 10 minutes and um, I, I can't say I remember what joke I was making there. I really don't. I, by that time, it was, you know, it was getting to be them hours. So there was a, a decent amount of bourbon had been um, ingested. But, yeah, Steph was really nice. And as I told you guys at the All-Star game, um, when I said goodbye to him, I said I was proud of him for everything that he's done. <laughs> as if I was his uncle who had known him since he was like four years old. I told him I was proud of him. Um, but yeah, Steph Curry, no surprise um, by his reputation, very gracious guy, really sweet guy, was just, you know, he was making his rounds to every single person in the room, introducing himself having conversations. It was just a cool little moment. Um, all You know, the type of thing that kind of only happens at All-Star Weekend. See, I would think you would have photographic memory for your bits, for your jokes. Like you would no. know in that moment, put yourself back in that in that second and know no. exactly what kind of take you fired off. No, because for every single moment, Rob, there's a different bit, right? Like I might have been making some light skin joke or what, whatever <laughs> other kind of joke in that moment, right? And so like I, it, it, you got to apply custom fit each bit to each audience. And I really, I got to ask Della... Um, and Medina, shout outs to the whole uninterrupted crew, um, because they're the ones that I went to that party with. Uh, I gotta ask them what the hell it is I was saying, because I really <laughs> truly don't remember. Rob, what were you doing with them hours in Indiana? Same thing? Probably sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I don't think I would no, the only night I went to sleep before 1 a.m. was Friday night. That's it. <sighs> And that's because I wanted to get home before Wingstop closed. Mm -hmm. And we had the show in the um in the afternoon. So I was just like, yeah, I'm cutting my night short. I need to get this Wingstop. I need to be fresh for the show. And that was it. Other than that, it was, hey, man, some pretty late nights in, in Indianapolis, guys. <laughs> you were doing all-star right, that's for sure. My, my experience was, I, I was talking to someone about playing like an immediate pickup run. They're like, why didn't you come out? It was like... I didn't bring shoes, you know, I didn't really plan ahead. And their question was, why didn't you go to literally any of the <laughs> brand events in which they will give you yeah. a pair of basketball Sorry. shoes oh. to play in? And this, I'm just not, I'm not seeing the full board the way you are, Waz. I'm, I'm not, I'm not activating the events the way you are. Listen, man, you guys have my number. <laughs> if ever y'all want to activate, <laughs> we will activate. We love to activate. Uh, Waz hung out with Steph Curry. Rob did what seemed to be a fantasy Final Fantasy podcast. So I did. That's true. We all have different experiences. But, <laughs> um, I was staying in Bloomington the entire time, so I was basically commuting back and forth almost the entire time I was there, sludging through the snow. You know, but 
Uh, we all had a good time in our own special ways. We'll say that. Absolutely. We did. All right. Now on to the actual matters at hand here. So the first one I have up here. So we're going through some recent trends. We're going to determine whether or not this is actually anything or not. Uh, first one up, Miami wins fifth in a row last night against the Portland Trailblazers. Looked a little dicey uh, at halftime there until DeAndre Ayton went out. Uh, but they are now fifth in the West, in the Eastern Conference, eight and two in February, slowly climbing up as the zombie heat tend to do here. And so, Rob, I ask you, is this win streak, is this recent success for Miami anything? Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of teams out there, you know, 10 games, even a solid month might be just that. And we keep it moving. The Heat are not one of those teams. We know that this core can be dangerous. We know that any sign of life is something we have to take seriously. And we know that Jimmy Butler being in Fallout Boy's latest video is a is a pretty good omen for them, I think. Whoa! Emo, <laughs> I didn't hear emo about Jimmy, this. Oh, yeah, Emo Jimmy back in full Twitter. effect. He's got a rhinestone cowboy thing going on. Wow. I, look, how do you see that and not think this is a real contender? Is this like the culmination of everything in your life right now? It's all been building to this moment. <laughs> well, a lot of hair swooping. A lot, a lot of very tight black band t-shirts have led me right here, Justin, in front of you, begging you to take the Miami Heat seriously. So is this what Jimmy's doing when he's not playing games? Oh my God, dude. He's <laughs> just been preparing for this role? No, but seriously, just, I looked it up the other day and he had missed... 20 out of a possible 58 games like wow yeah (laughs) you know like he's missed so much time obviously the little suspension with the little skirmish notwithstanding that's whatever but he's missed so much time and but when he's playing he's kicking ass like so i don't know how you don't take what the heat are doing seriously when you consider the way they're playing defense which obviously is always going to be a hallmark of this team and if jimmy butler's healthy reasonably healthy they can generate quality offense right like they're not gonna like blow the doors off of people but i think because the heat are not just a team but they are a system they're a program uh like they bring consistency to every single thing that they do and so jimmy being healthy i I think you gotta take these guys seriously and you know, let's face it, this team went to the finals last year, right? Uh, yes, they're, they're missing Max Struess, your brother. Um, they're missing Gabe Vincent, but I think they've done a decent um, decent enough job of replacing some of those pieces, and I think they're primed for a run, man. Yeah, the thing that jumped out to me last night against the Blazers was just how the ball just pings around yeah. with these guys. The amount of guys that they have that can dribble and pass, some of whom can actually shoot. I mean, a couple of them are a little shaky, but like the amount of just talent up and down the entire rotation at this point, it's like, it's one thing if Bam Adebayo dribble drives and kicks it out to a shooter. We're kind of used to that at this point, even though it is wild to say for one of the best centers in the league. It's another thing to see Duncan Robinson now do that with Mm -hmm. confidence. He's doing that pretty regularly at this point. And then it's another thing on top of that to see Nikola Jovic, a guy that we didn't know anything about, might be the tallest guy on this damn roster, uh, functionally plays point guard, I guess. They just kind of just throw out titles for some of these guys, but not only get the ball moving, but then relocate and actually hit a shot there. It's just like every single guy here is is a little bit more very versatile than I think that what they had last year. So if you're going to be encouraged that they could be even better than the, what they were last season, I think it's that. Joe Cronin should be punching the air right now, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so much regret over 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 not getting oh, not getting Jovich in the building. <laughs> well, 
Can I, can I ask you this question, though? Because I do think this brings us back to the bigger picture conversation with the Heat there. I do think, yeah, they are better on the margins here. I do find myself wondering as I'm watching some of these games, they are seemingly relying on Jimmy doing mm-hmm. the superstar shit in the way mm-hmm. that he did last finals. On the one hand, you could say, well, this is what Jimmy Butler does at this point. On the other hand, you could say, well, if he can't do that, if he's hobbled like he was later in the postseason, Who's is Rozier really the guy that's going to step up and do that? I mean, they have more of these guys, but I'm, I'm not sure that they really closed the gap in terms of like having a secondary star, Rob. Yeah, they still don't really have that. And you get flashes of it from, you know, Jaime Jaquez in particular. Bam will have great scoring nights. And I think it's had a, a pretty good season overall. The thing is, though, they're, they're getting back into that plug and play Miami Heat way where guys are out of the lineup all the time. Even as you mentioned, was that suspension game? Jimmy's out against the Kings. And they Jovic their is out. <laughs> they just won that thing going away. And that's now that's very Miami Heat shit. It's yeah. also very Sacramento Kings yeah, shit. Who they have lost to competition. To, yeah. Oh my God. They have lost to every team missing players this season. It's it's getting a little concerning. But seeing that from Miami is reassuring because they have made moves to kind of shore this thing up around the edges, especially at point. Getting Rozier, getting DeLon Wright, those are really important moves for them relative to what they were and really what they weren't getting out of Kyle Lowry earlier this season. Yeah, I think the only problem for the Heat is secondary scoring is not the kind of thing I think you can do by committee, right? Like when teams are rolling out Kyrie Irving and Devin Booker and these are the secondary scorers or Jalen Brown and, you know, the Heat are like, it's Tyler Hero some nights, it's... You know, it's Jaime Jaquez other nights. It's Bam out of by. I don't know that you can, you know, have that role be filled by a, a platoon, if you will. And so, uh, you know, I'm. But didn't I'm, they just do they that just and get to it. the finals? I know. I know. You know, it, I know. They belie- They kind of undercut any sort of like rational thinking, though. Yeah. They're yes. sitting here 19th on offense in this stretch where they're eight and two, and yet here we are talking about how good the ball m- movement looks on their right. offense. Right. Um, I think the other concern is also just size. Like their center yeah. rotation right now is Bam and Kevin Love. And that became an issue farther down the line in the playoffs last year, especially against Nikola Jokic. I mean, the, the East is a little bit downsized at this point because mm-hmm. Embiid isn't there. I mean, maybe the Cavs and whatnot. I, I don't think a lot of teams have the offensive juice plus the size in the way that you would be worried about if you're Miami. But I think farther down the road, it could be an issue. But the defense is rock solid again, second in this whole stretch that they've been on. Yeah, that's where I think the big growth has been going from kind of a mediocre defense for a lot of this mm-hmm. season to now we're back at Miami Heat standard elite defensive play. And it's getting in some disruptors. You know, I think DeLon Wright is is really helpful in this way. He's a guy who if you make him your stopper, you're going to be setting him up to fail. But if you let him play in a system with other good defenders, he's going to gum up space. He's going to jump lanes. He can be really awesome in that sort of role. And so you're getting a lot of those kinds of contributions, like a little DeLon right here. You know, even a little Jovich is going a long way right now. Like his like defensive minutes have been solid. And to your point, Justin, he gives you a size that you're just not getting elsewhere on the roster. So not a perfect player, as you can tell from the fact that he either basically starts or is out of the rotation right now. I have no idea what his role is on this team, especially when everyone is healthy. But you're getting a sense that when guys are coming back into the lineup for Miami, these little bits of defensive addition are starting to be cumulative. Like they're starting to all all come together. And we say it all the time, like a weakness only matters in so much as your opponent can exploit it, right? And what Eastern Conference team do we have confidence can exploit? I think the Knicks, 
they have a nice big man rotation in Hartenstein and Mitchell and 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 Julius Randle. And those guys are really physical guys, right? Like they're gonna try to beat you with their size, but I don't think anybody's like, oh, the Knicks are gonna out physical the Heat well, in a series. Well, if if OG is healthy, is well, OG as big fair. as yeah. Bam? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that, that's that's fair. And that is a brand new component to the team that didn't exist last year. But again, if you go down, the Celtics who are killing everybody, nobody thinks they're going to out-physical any team in the playoffs, right? Like, this is a finesse team. They're going to shoot the ball at you. They're not going to just, you know, sort of batter and bruise you. And then, of course, Milwaukee, who I think, like, Brooke Lopez and Giannis, these are legitimate physical guys that I don't, I don't know why we should have the confidence that by the time the playoffs come, their offense will round in such a well-oiled machine that they can exploit these kind of size weaknesses that other opponents might have. So I, I, I don't know that it'll even come up, is what I'm saying. I think the Knicks are the most compelling of those teams. Yes. In part, not just because of the physicality, but what they can do on the offensive glass. Yes. That's where I would be worried if I were, if I were in Miami's position. Old school Knicks Heat playoff series. They're at the four or five right now, so we might get that. The Let's whole, run it back. The Pat Riley Bowl. But uh, this is a good segue into <laughs> a related question here is a lot of these teams are jumbled up four through eight in the East here. The Knicks, Heat, Sixers, Magic, Pacers. That's where it looks like right now in the standings. They're about a game apart, a little bit more. Um, Rob, which of these teams are jumping out to you as the one you're the most confident in? Like, if we bring out the confidence meter yet again, as we tend to do when we run out of other sticks, uh, which one do you feel most confident in going down the street? Is this meter one to five or one to ten? Uh, whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> what, whatever the high end of the meter is to me is the Knicks. Mm. Their situation is so injury driven, but when their guys are healthy, yeah, they're better than these other teams. At least in their current, you know, we're, we're thinking about the Sixers without Joel. That's a longer yeah. term injury we have to think about differently. The Heat, I believe in what what the shape of this is right now. But I, all of their offensive limitations that we've outlined are, are not really changing. They're just a good defensive team now in a way that they weren't earlier in the season. So I like all these teams. I just think the Knicks have proven themselves and they deserve some benefit of the doubt in ways that, you know, the, the Magics and the Pacers and even the Six, you know, especially the Sixers right now do not. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I, I put the Knicks in the heat pretty close to each other. And I give... I'm going to give the slight edge to the Heat because, as you guys know, I'm obsessed with past performance. And, like, <laughs> the team went to the freaking finals last year, right? Um, and, of course, I, I have the utmost confidence in Spo, who, like LeBron said, is worth every single penny. Jimmy Butler being who he is, is you know, the culture, all of that stuff matters. But the Knicks, man, what they're going to bring when they're fully healthy in terms of just uh, an identity that is so clearly defined. And then, of course, they got the home crowd. Like, I, I just think the Knicks are they're definitely going to be a tough out. But but the Heat, to me, it, like, you got to respect what they've already achieved. If the Knicks are healthy, I would choose the Knicks. Mm. I, I'm just not sure what's going on with Randall. We expect OG to be back here at some point. We heard Randall yes. talking about, oh, this thing might be worse than we originally thought. <laughs> And so that's not great. But I do think you guys made the point there, which is like the Knicks' physicality is just like intrinsic to who they are. And if anything, they've doubled down on that again and again with some of the moves that they made there. And what we saw last postseason was the Heat kind of bullied the teams that could be bullied, the Bucks first and foremost. I just don't think you're going to do that to the Knicks. And so they wouldn't have that sort of psychological, physical advantage over a team like the Knicks. So I would I put the Knicks first and foremost. But again, like... Goddamn heat, man. They do this every freaking season. We count them out. Plus 0.7 point differential 
And here they are just climbing, peaking at the right time yet again. Take that, nerds. <laughs> All right, next one on the docket. This one comes via an ESPN report on the surging offense here. Joe Dumars uh, told Tim Bontemps and Kevin Pelton that the competition committee, which is a collection of coaches and whatnot who look over the roles and yada, yada, yada. Uh, they are reviewing, in quote, whether the game has tilted too far toward offense. And this has kind of been a burbling story here for a couple weeks now. Uh, we've seen historic offenses, pretty much like a, a third of the league at this point is is on track to break offensive rating records. Uh, Waz, what do you think overall? We can get to like the fixes and potential fixes down the road here, but do you think there is a problem first and foremost? Yes, okay. I absolutely think there's a problem in the sense that every like everything is tilted towards the offense. There is nothing that the defense is allowed to do. So, you know, one example, Julius Randle and Giannis are two of the biggest billy club guys where they take their off arm and they just hit people with it when they're going to the basket. That at the minimum should be a foul on them, you know, uh, like or or no call on the defense. And oftentimes they're generating contact with their off arm either dislodging the guy and if the guy gives some resistance he's then getting the foul like we need to get that out i think some of the when people when the when the ball handler um sort of forces the contact a lot of the shea stuff that you see a lot like when they're initiating the contact like you know diverting from their natural path to the basket to throw a shoulder into a guy contact occurs and then they shoot it and the ref's like oh that's a foul we got to get that out too and then so obviously those become free throws and those become fouls but then defenders they respond to that and they just sort of give these guys the right away after a point right and i think those are the kind of things that can be shorn up where just like don't call it a foul. Every single piece of contact doesn't have to be a foul on the defense. And especially when guys are doing these unnatural movements to draw the contact. Guys on the defensive end need to be able to move their feet and guard. Like yes. That's taught at every level of basketball. Like if you move your feet and beat them to the spot, you'll be yes. fine. Like That's good defense. And yet, with the way the NBA is officiated, you're right, Waz. If the offensive player initiates that contact, it's getting called every time. And so then you're reinforcing these habits in young players who are coming into the league saying, if you do that, if you don't just like Ole and let this guy go by you, you're going to get pulled out of the game in the first quarter with two fouls. You're not going to get to play down the stretch of games because you're in foul trouble. You're creating a system that encourages bad defense. And so that's the kind of thing we have to nip in the bud. So it sounds like you guys are looking at, I would say, more minor issues not whole scale we need to blow up the way we play we don't we need to warp the court etc rob would you say that this is more of a tweak than a full scale we need to change something significant well i think you start that way and if you're not getting the desired effect then you start looking at the more significant action but adam silver's nba is pretty incrementalist for the most part i don't think we're changing Mm. the geography of the court in terms of the way the game is played overnight it's going to be small little steps in terms of officiating, in terms of like uh, guidance and best practices. It's going to be those sorts of things before we start moving any lines around. Adam Silver obsessed with centrism. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you think if he brought in grass into the basketball arena? He got rid of hardwood and it yep. was just played on like a soccer pitch. <laughs> it's, it's, fin- it's finally mowed though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Anything with soccer, it feels like 
Silver is is just ready to just insert into the game. But no, I, I think it's an interesting conversation. I, I did a, a piece, oh God, it was like six years now, kind of about this topic where offense was surging. What can defense do against that? And so I do think on the one hand, this is the type of topic that every NBA player and coach and executive is ready to tee off on. They just want to gripe. As soon as you mentioned are the defenders at a disadvantage? Yes, because of X, Y, Z. And all they really want to do is complain. And so I'm I'm sensitive to the fact that like this is the type of thing that might be overblown as a result of this. But I do think if you looked at the history of the league, like it is fascinating to see the smallest of tweaks and how much they end up affecting the game here. And so on the one hand, if it's something minor like you guys are explaining, I'm all for that. But I do think if you start changing the literature and how the game is actually played... I do think there could be some unintended consequences. I'm worried about going too far in the other direction, ending up back with the Pistons, mm. uh, it, just clobbering teams in like 80 to 85. Sort so of I don't think we'll ever get back to that because these guys are just way more skilled, right? Like there's way more shooting and all of that stuff. I just th- I, I don't think NBA players have gotten this much better at making tough shots. I think they've the, the game has gotten to a place where they're – able to generate more easier shots and looks because of the rules and because of how limited defenders are. Because even like, you know, and people started complaining about this three-shot foul. I'm not the first person, but like the way we were just giving away these three-shot fouls, which inevitably turns into what? Don't even contend the threes in a league that that possesses the best shooting it's ever had, right? And so I think a lot of these things become compounded over time where people, again, learn the rules. Like, if I get even close to this shooter, he's going to get a foul call and get three free, free points. And then if I don't, this guy is a high-quality shooter and he's going to can it, right? Where back in the days, you didn't have to give a hard closeout on Charles Oakley and Dale Davis. Like, it just wasn't the case, right? Like, now you do. But we need to give people the opportunity to actually make that hard closeout. So I accept that offenses are going to be way better than they were in 1999 uh, when the Knicks beat the Heat in five games in the first round, right? Um, I I accept that. Like, again, I I reference that game because it's, like, something that's just core to my memory. And the the final score was 78-79. That's insane, dude. You know, and so um, I I just think these rules need to be tweaked to get let defenders defend. Let these highly skilled people have to make highly skilled plays to score. That's that's all I'm saying. We want to change the terms of engagement like on the ball. Right at the point of attack, yes. what are people allowed to do versus what what is being taken away by the rules? That's I think what we want to change more than anything. Anything more elaborate than that, you're changing the strategy of how the overall game is played, post entry angles, driving angles, the whole the entire spacing apparatus of every offense. If you start doing anything more dramatic than that, so let's let's start small. Let's see what kind of gains can be made with that, and we'll go from there. Just another thing, um, just some like. These things just kind of creep in and aid in giving the offense these advantages. Like, for instance, the freaking carry rule that just does not exist anymore and makes it so that, like, their movement is better and easier because they could just carry the ball. Like, it's crazy, you know? And again, like, I think by itself, that carry rule is not a big deal, but taken in concert with all these other things that are just creeping again 
in the direction of the offense, always, nothing ever creeps in the direction of the defense, then that's how we get games, you know, that end up in the 150s in regulation. If you can carry the ball and the guy setting the screen can move on the screen it's and the court insane. is spaced because everyone can shoot, like you it's... will just never stop people from getting to the rim. I guess devil's advocate is that a lot of these things come down to the subjective opinion of the refs in order to key in on it one and then enforce it. And so yeah. you could have points of emphasis, but as we see year and year and year, they do all this stuff over the first two months of the season and all of a sudden they dissipate later on. I do want to talk about the more extreme option here just for the sake of conversation because uh, Kirk Goldsberry had this thing in his book Sprawl Ball a few years ago that kind of made the rounds on Twitter the other day here where changing the court so that you practically take away the corner three, but you extend the top of the three-point arc out. And that was something that when I did the story a few years ago, you constantly heard about. There's just so much space to cover. It's an impossible task as a result of that. Now, on the one hand, this does probably maybe force you to cover more space because if guys are hitting deeper threes, then you're just guarding farther out into the midcourt. But on the other hand, it takes away the the corners. You would presumably see more post-play or more varied post-play as a result of this. So do you guys have any interest in seeing something like this instituted? Considering that I think a lot of what we're seeing now in the All-Star game kind of like brought this to the forefront more than anything. Guys are just jacking from deeper than ever before. See, I don't think you would see more varied post-play. Mm. I, I think if anything, the development, if that was the spacing and the alignment of the court, you would have shooters as you alluded to, Justin, spacing out further and further, standing up, and it's going to turn into a one-on-one drive from the top of the floor. Mm. But in terms of like, like helping in the post, I, I don't know. I, I, I worry about those sorts of ripple effects. I, I, I understand that it, like it could open up space more theoretically, but we're seeing a lot of research right now that three-point shooting in the NBA is kind of hitting its point of diminishing returns. Like enough iffy yeah. to slightly below yeah. average shooters are shooting <laughs> that the spacing threes. isn't that real right <laughs> and so i think what would happen is guys who are you know career 33.5 percent three-point shooters are going to be spotting up four feet behind the line and someone's not going to be guarding them and they're going to be taking a lot of those shots and that's going to be kind of what a lot of nba <laughs> offense becomes if that's the spacing of the court yeah i'm not, i'm not interested in warping the court honestly i think that's a that might be a step too far for me uh, just because I, I don't think that's the actual problem. I don't think it's that corner threes are too close. I, I really don't think that. I think that the threes that are being generated is because people have to overhelp on these drives because people cannot guard a dude one-on-one. You can't put your hand, you can't do this. You can't touch the guy's waist while he's trying to score above you from three feet away. And for the listener, <laughs> was just... I just battered tapped. me I just, I just, in the arm there. I just hit him with a Call forearm. a foul. A forearm shiver. The billy uh, club came out. <laughs> Ric Flair style. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I just don't see the, the warping of the court as necessary. I think these, these three-point looks that are generated are downstream of other problems. Yeah, one thing I am worried about, and maybe this is too soon, is what the next evolution of three-point shooters looks like. Like right now, we're at the point where we're ushering in bigs who have come in having shot the three pretty regularly, if not in college and in high school, then in AAU before that. Like, I do wonder if we're just going to get better and better at that and thus things drift farther and farther out there. And so maybe I'm thinking too far ahead, but that I think is something that we need to worry about down the road there. Bet the NBA with a no-sweat same-game parlay from FanDuel every Thursday with TNT Thursdays. It doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or already have an account, 
you'll get bonus bets back if your same-game parlay doesn't win on any NBA on TNT game. NBA same-game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance to score a bigger payday. So we're looking at Wednesday night's slate in the NBA, and we're looking at specifically the last game between the Lakers and Clippers at Crypto.com while they are co-tenants. Clippers moving to the Intuit Dome, the beautiful Intuit Dome, next year. And so I like the Lakers actually in this one getting three and a half points. I believe they are in air quotes on the road uh, in their own arena. So let's go with the Lakers. LeBron James loves to make history. Why not win this game in the last opportunity as roommates with the Clippers? And I also like D'Angelo Russell 20 plus points in this one. That's about what he's averaging over the past few games here. That's at plus 120. So lock that in for your parlay. However you want to play, just head to FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA to bet the NBA with the no-sweat same-game parlay with TNT Thursdays. That's FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. Minimum three-leg parlay required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, shall we move on uh, to another uplifting tale, which is that as we record this on February 28th, the Wizards and the Pistons both have the same exact record, 9-49. and 49. <laughs> And it gets worse for our friends in D.C. So after the losing straight, 28 straight losses for the Pistons. So that was uh, December 30th. So from December 31st on, the Wizards are 3-24. and 24, The Pistons 6-20. and 20. So the Pistons actually have double the amount of wins. That should be 7-19 and 19 too. But alas, yeah. there's an officiating conspiracy to deny this valiant young team its rightful win against the Knicks. 
they're coming on. Let me tell you. And I find myself honestly gravitating to watching Pistons games these days. If only because a lot of teams are just like fixed assets at this point. Like the Pistons are trying different things. You get to mm-hmm. see Cade with some actual shooters. Although, yeah. goddamn, Monty Williams going back to the starting lineup with Beef Stew and Duran in the front court with minimal spacing. But they're rising above it regardless. Uh, Cade looking good, y'all. Cade does look good. He's looking good. And so they're, I, I, they're very watchable. And yes. and the Spurs, who are also very bad, like the Wemby experience makes that very watchable. Yeah. But the Wizards, <laughs> That's they, not a thing. they break me a little bit every time I watch them. That's so, not a thing. So are the Wizards worse than the Pistons? 100 <laughs> percent. They're, they're very bad. And, and like, especially right now, like Bilal Koulibaly's out, too. So it's like, what am I even watching? Like, this is much more Corey Kispert than I bargained for, like checking in on this random Wizards game. I. I can't say I'm enjoying it. I, and I can't imagine Jordan Poole, newly minted reserve of the Washington Wizards, is enjoying it much either. Their best player is Kyle Kuzma, who I love. I love Kyle Kuzma. He can do no wrong in my eyes, to quote another maniac. Um, but he's not a wing player. He's not a ball handler. He's like He can do those things in spot minutes, but like, they don't have a dribbler of the basketball. They don't have a playmaker, an initiator. They don't have... They have Tyus Jones. Have they... some respect. <laughs> the assist to turnover ratio. How dare you? Always strong. 17 assists against the Warriors uh, last night. This is how you know respect. it's bad for, for the Wizards. It's that they are now starting Marvin Bagley at center, who wasn't good enough to really get rotation minutes, or, or actually was good enough to get rotation minutes in Detroit, but then they, they cast him aside in order to open up cap space down the road. Can we, yeah, can we talk about Marvin Bagley for a second? Because this is really sure. the through line of this whole conversation. The Pistons traded Marvin Bagley with two second-round picks and Isaiah Livers for Gallo and Mike Muscala. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they already waived Gallo. The Pistons did. They're about to waive Mike Muscala. So that means... Detroit gave up two seconds, Isaiah Livers, and a bunch of buyout money just to not pay Marvin Bagley the $12.5 million from a contract they gave him. Yeah. And now he's starting for the Wizards. Well, they needed to open up cap space, you know? I guess. And by the way, all the heavy hitters want to go to Detroit. And by the way, shouts to Trey. He is a capable steward of (laughs) an, an offense. He's a caretaker. Yeah. He's a game manager. He's not a threat with the ball. Okay, and like they don't have any threats. Like it's it's nuts. And as much as Cade, you know, he he was the turnover machine for large stretches of his career to start. But like when he has the ball, it's like, oh, this is a real guy who's a threat to do something. Who's a threat to drive it. Who's a threat to hit the open man right away. Uh, like he's a threat. Like the Wizards just. Jordan Poole, like, that was his role. It was like, oh, we got some juice on the ball with Jordan Poole, whose contract already looks horrendous, man. It's it's really crazy. Yeah, he's coming off the bench now. I have to say, in a bench roll against other teams' reserves, <laughs> not bad, but that's probably not what you want for the guy. So, I, and that's another thing no, I want to say about the no. Jordan Poole deal is it's just crazy how things change so quickly. So when he signed his deal... He got that deal. Simon's got that deal. Hero got that deal. And around the time, because they all got like pretty much the same deal. And around that time, everybody assumed that Jordan Poole was the one that made kind of the most sense. Like he was he was the one most worthy of that deal. 
And I would say he's the third of those three now in terms of reputation, which is just crazy. He's probably one of the worst players in the NBA this season. <laughs> I actually don't think it's much of a debate. No. Um, yeah. But it is great to see Cade kind of show up yes. here. I think that was probably the biggest concern, even amidst all those losses, is that they didn't have a path forward, that the guy that they drafted number one overall. But the three ball is coming around here, and you're starting to see as they add more spacing because Fantecchio, Big Tech, is in there closing out some of those games. And Let seeing, him start. Yeah. I, Bring I him back no into the starting lineup. Why is Sar Thompson in there, especially when you're going to play two bigs? It makes no fucking sense. But Well... I think your priority should be we got to play a Sar Thompson big minutes. Sure. And there was a stretch in January where he he wasn't playing that much. That was very confusing. He's now back into a big minute role, which is I think really important for them developmentally speaking. And huge news: mm. his three point shooting this month. We're out of the teens, baby. Hell we're yeah, into, we're into the, I believe the twenty percent. <laughs> Jesus Christ! What a time. But yeah, I, I think Cade is starting to look more like a guy. The three ball is falling. We'll see, but I, I think the rest of the, this season is going to be a prove it to see if he can be that. Um, but I think the funniest thing about all of this is that even in this stretch that we talked about, so since December 31st, by net rating, these teams aren't even in the two worst teams in the league. <laughs> number one with the bullet, the Portland Trailblazers, minus 14.1. And number 29 in the league, unfortunately, are Charlotte Hornets, who mm. looked like they were coming back. They basically imported like the end of the Thunder's bench, the point where they signed Poku off of waivers just the other day. Uh, the last two games have been horrid, and they are now back down there, uh, minus 10.3 net rating. So it goes Blazers, Hornets, Wizards up from the bottom. Pistons 25th. So I would say overall, though, Rob, this is really uh, a heyday for awful basketball that we haven't seen in maybe, what, five or so years at least? A lot of very bad basketball. And I've been trying to figure out if it says anything about the league that there's so many teams that are so bad at once. I, I don't know what the unifying theory is there. I don't know if, you know, te- some of these teams are so far behind and they're looking at even the play-in and saying, like, we can't even compete with those teams. Why would we even try for that? And therefore, we're, we're slumming it. But I don't know. Teams like the Hornets, they they tried to win games. They even did win some games, maybe maybe too many games over this last couple of weeks. <laughs> But they just can't compete with the level of losing that's going on with the Wizards, for example. <laughs> I, I, I'm not too alarmed by it. It's like, okay, there's like five to six teams that are just completely joke of of teams right now where any team that's like eighth or better in the play-in, if they play these guys, they should expect to blow their doors off. But, you know, it's getting to be that a certain point of time in the season – you, these guys are professionals, but how can you convince everybody on the Wizards, besides their paycheck, that like what they're doing is meaningful on a night-to-night basis? And I think that affects the actual play that you see out on the floor. Like these guys are human beings; like they understand what they're doing doesn't matter and has yeah. no consequence, right? Um, and they're playing in these empty ass gyms. I mean, it's it's really nasty out there for some of these teams. But again, at least the 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 thing that you can say about at least the Blazers. They've got a really super young core. At times, can be super exciting. Uh, the Hornets. I mean, Lamelo Ball still refu- can't play. He can't get on the court. Brandon Miller, though. Brandon Miller, That's though. Great. Brandon Miller can really play. He's yeah. the real deal, right? So it's just the Wizards that are completely hopeless. 
And we haven't gotten into the March and April stretch yet where like one of these teams is randomly going to go 500 over 12 games or so and they're going to juice their, their place in the standings more than they should. But that's going to happen for at least one of these teams. If the Wizards go 500, they're going to double their win total. <laughs> it could be an exciting month. <laughs> yeah, I think if we were to take a step back, obviously we don't support this, but this is actually strategically not the worst move. I know the draft is billed as not having all these superstars coming up in the next one, but like if the league is top heavy and as we've seen, it's particularly in the West, like some of these conferences are going 10 deep. Even the East is looking pretty fierce at this point. It actually long-term probably is in the benefit of some of these teams to bottom out in order to get better down the road, not tying themselves, trying to scratch into the play and race when a team like the Pacers is just like kind of uh, just taken off here. I will say though, I think ultimately we are in line for maybe the worst bottom of the league that we've seen in a very long time here. So I, dating back to 0203, there have been three other years in which te- three teams have had under 20 wins. It's 0405, 0809, and 1415, uh, which gave way to the Carl Anthony Towns, Jaleel Okafor draft, if you remember. Currently, the Pistons, Wizards, Spurs are on track to finish under 20 wins and significantly under 20 wins. Uh, the Pistons have a, a 15.5 win percentage, as do the Wizards. The Spurs, who we haven't really talked about much, 18.6 here. So yeah, this might be as dreadful as it can get here. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen Wemby. As, as good as Wemby has been, he's just kind of doing shit. He's just like almost at practice, like like just seeing what he can do on a basketball court. Well, that's what this season should be for them. I I don't really have a problem with any of these teams losing a lot. I think it's just a matter of this being the first time we've seen this level of almost like race to the bottom level losing since the lottery odds were flattened for the top three. That's what's jarring is like there's really not a lot of incentive for the Pistons to be worse than the Wizards to be worse than the Spurs. Like all three of those teams are going to do just fine by the lottery odds at this point. The Spurs have one of the hardest remaining schedules. It just doesn't really matter that much. They're going to lose a lot regardless of who they play. So that's what I'm trying to figure out. Is like, what is, how is that happening? Why is that happening? This also could be the unintended effects of everybody tanking for Wemby and then having to set up their next move. Whereas with the Spurs, they just didn't make one. And it's taken the Pistons to completely bottom out in order to be forced to, to go out and get helpful shooters like a Fantecchio and whatnot. Whereas like the Wizards also started the tank process too late here. So, yeah, I yeah, don't know. It's, it's also, bad, but I don't think it's it's a long term. I don't think it's a long term thing. And also three teams in each conference that are absolutely, you know, zeros. Like, it's not the end of the world. It's fine. No. Uh, last one on the docket here. So Trey Young goes out with a torn ligament in his. <laughs> Did you left... see his hospital pics <laughs> with Draymond? <laughs> it, it it was like um, I don't know if you guys ever saw the pics of Tupac after he got shot. <laughs> um, it was very similar. Trey Young was looking like Tupac and 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 quoting Bible verses. So. Yeah, shouts to him for recovering from a pinky injury. And his dad was in the hospital room, dressed in, in like Warriors blue, I have to say. And he looked enough like Draymond. They're like, why is Draymond visiting Draymond in the hospital? <laughs> and clutch we trust, baby. There you Come go. on now. So since this injury, he's out at least four weeks. Uh, probably will stretch to the rest of the season, let's be honest. The Hawks are 2-0, though. Ewing theory. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We well, had to do it, Rob. Are you on. surprised to see the Hawks just take off? Who, 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 who do they beat? The Magic and the Jazz. 
those are well, pre- those are two pretty quality magic teams, good. honestly. Yeah, the Magic without Paolo. Okay, and the Jazz. Although I did look, have not up, had it together lately. I looked this up recently. Paolo Bancaro's true shooting percentage pretty similar to like a Cam Thomas, Kyle Kuzma. So there's a conversation <laughs> like maybe not this year, but next year about like what Paolo Bancaro is actually doing out there. Yeah. Anyway, he wasn't on my All Star ballot. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. It, look. The season is a lost one. Um, all eyes on Atlanta this offseason because they tried. Lord knows they tried. They didn't move, you know, Trey or DeJounte. Uh, obviously, they brought the new coach in there to be influential. So mm, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see what they do in the offseason, though. Yeah, I just can't expect that this is who the Hawks are. They're going to lose a lot. And Anyaka mm. Kongu is out right now, too. Mm. Could be out for a couple weeks or could be out more if they decide that he should be out more or it's beneficial for them to be out for him to be out more. They're going to lose. I think what's exciting is can you get some of these young guys in positions to stretch what they do? Can we see even more of Jalen Johnson in creative roles, seeing an empowered kind of like bogey who's been let loose a little bit? Mm-hmm. That's a fun thing to see. Can we get some Kobe Bufkin minutes? Who's seeing like his first real playing time of the season? Like that's something that the Hawks need to be doing right now. Sounds like a fake player. Kobe Bufkin. He's a first round pick. He's like a (laughs) fringe lottery pick. I know, but sounds like a guy that you draft in year 12 of your dynasty. Rupert Bufkin. I think Quinn Snyder need to, needed to be convinced that he was not a real player because he was playing like Wes Matthews and uh, Trent Forrest, I think is the name of their two-way guy who's been playing over him for a lot of this season. I, I simply... Might have played Kobe Bufkin a little bit more. And I'm happy to see him get some court time. I will say this is just another spotlight on our guy, Jalen Johnson. Rob, the prophet Mahoney brought to us before the season started what a what a prospect this guy is. And I I just I marvel every time I watch this guy. He's basically what people wanted John Collins to be. Because he plays with such force. Mm -hmm. Like when when the NFL, they talk about running backs that kind of fall forward because there's so much momentum because they're so big and physical that they gain a few extra yards. Like people just bounce off of Johnson going at the rim. Uh, And I love him just on the short roll and everything like that, but also just like has the touch that you would like, basically they force Collins to have at a certain point because he couldn't play center anymore. Uh, Just like hits enough three balls. He's going to do that at volume, but also the passing like just six and a half assists over the past two games. Like this guy's a player, if not like a potential all-star down the road here. And so I don't know if it's Trey, who's going to be his, his partner there, or if it's going to be Murray, there's probably going to be a choice this off season, but I do think a guard plus him is a pathway to the future. It's a pathway. And I think what's exciting about Johnson is there is a size of opponent of wing or forward who'd be guarding him, who just can't do a thing about a guy who's that big and that athletic and that fluid. And you saw that against the Jazz. Like he was just getting anywhere he wanted in terms of into the lane, collapsing the defense, spraying out. He's a good passer. That's a really exciting kind of player to pair with either whatever the platonic ideal of Trey or DeJounte is. Like whatever you think the best case version of either of those players are, Johnson can fit with them. And he can fit in a lot of different versions of this team going forward where we've seen, you know, DeAndre Hunter in there with him. We've seen Sadiq Bey in there with him. All of it kind of works. He really is a, is a great piece to have at this stage of construction where you need to have your options open if you're Atlanta. You need to have a lot of different paths forward, but all of them can include him. The stabilizer. Yes. Uh, but I think we do have to have the question, Waz, which is like, if you had to make the choice, if it seems like we're heading in that direction, 
are you building forward with Murray or Trey? Trey's obviously the more dynamic offensive player, but you know, he's the pricklier sort. He's had problems dealing with other guys, like getting the ball and whatnot. Like, are you trading one or the other? Is there one that you would lean toward? I'm moving away from both. I'm I'm getting <laughs> okay. off of both and starting to rebuild. Like I'm looking at guards in the draft this year, perhaps a Bronny James or something. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, he's available. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm getting rid of both and just and starting over. I got my Jalen Johnson. I have a, a front court piece that I really love. I even like a Kongu. I still have a soft spot for a Kongu. I just think you can get some real stuff for these guys coming in. Perhaps you even trade them for other young guys instead of just mainly draft picks or whatever. But I, I would move on from those cats, them both, because it's just, what what's the proof that these guys are going to be part of something substantial in Atlanta? And Trey in particular, I just think he's been treated like the boy prince since he got there, and it just hasn't worked out. And so you can't, come in and say, Trey, you got to be somebody completely different in the franchise that's been kicking your, kissing your ass the entire time you've been there. So I think he needs a new start. And I think Atlanta should just move on. It hasn't worked. There's no other way to put it. What do you think, Rob? One or the other? I would still pick Trey. I, I get all the concerns. I get all of the limitations of his game. I just don't think Atlanta has the appetite for that that kind of teardown, mm. that sort of patience. Really tough thing to swallow after the sorts of seasons they've had the last two years. So I would still invest in Trey and Johnson as your guys. I would see what options are available for Murray. I want to find a bigger role for Bogdanovich if he wants to be a part of this team going forward. So like that's kind of the core that I would eye along with the Kongu and then, and then see how you can round out around that. But it's telling that you know, any of these scenarios, I don't feel great about it. Atlanta's, they've really dug themselves into a hole with, by investing in this backcourt. And whatever trade they could make to get out of it is not going to be seamless. It's not going to be perfect. They might get a good young player, but one who also has their own questions coming out of their own rebuilding situation that didn't quite work. So it, it's there's just no great solutions here. By the way, I want to commend Atlanta for even trying, right? Um, they built a team. They they got, they got They caught lightning in a bottle you know, they advanced pretty far in the playoffs before they thought that they could. And then, you know, at a certain point, that kind of got scaling in. And they said, yo, let's double down. Let's trade for DeJounte Murray. Like, that took guts to do. Um, but it hasn't worked. You know, like, at a certain point, like, I admire the guts. But also, you just have to admit that, yo, we tried a thing. It didn't work out. And we need to go in a new direction. Have I floated my theory that the player empowerment era just completely made the next generation of young stars coming into the league just like kind of, they gave them too much power too soon? Because if you looked at like Zion, Luca, Trey Young, like there's a lot of (laughs) off the court, like trying to wield power too soon sort of issues. And now I will say having been there for the formative days for Anthony Davis, like there were times where like his father was going around saying some wild shit in the bowels of that arena. And so like, this is kind of a tried and true just formula (laughs) before that it was LeBron James probably wielding too much power in Cleveland. So it might just be a small market thing, but I will say like those guys kind of went over their skis a little too soon here. And now we're at the point where it's like, Oh, my team isn't ready for it. It's because you fucking like you're with, with Luca in particular, like maybe you asked for too much too soon. Just, just throwing it out there. Can you blame them? No, 
but so maybe it's as much about the environment too, about giving so. those guys. Too That's much. what I would say. Yeah. I, I would say a lot of these teams, you know, when New Orleans finally sacked up and was just like, "Yo, Zion, we're done." Like. Letting you push us around. We're putting you on a trade block. We're signing you to an extension that's extremely incentive laden. Like they finally showed some guts. Like it's just teams had to show some guts because not everybody's as good as LeBron and KD. Like even if they're your franchise guy, not all franchise players are built equally. And so this idea that you can't identify the fact that, yes, although Trey Young might be the best player on your team, you do not need to treat him the way the Lakers treated Kobe. I mean, like, this shit seems so obvious to me. You know what I mean? I can't wait for the Bronny James, Jalen Johnson pick and roll. That's going <laughs> to be fun. going to be sweet. <laughs> so sweet. Uh, all right. That's it for us. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday. No Rob on Sunday. And so Waz and I planning something special we'll figure it out here what do you think about doing a live show from jumbos the clown room i don't know what that is <laughs> it's a strip club <laughs> oh wow okay <laughs> so we'll get back to you on that uh until then thank you to isaiah blakely on production thank you to ben cruz uh we'll see you then Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.